2: Talking about very old things, when they're trying to piece together our understanding of ancient humans and Neanderthals, scientists often have to rely on artefacts found in caves like old tools or animal bones that show signs they were butchered. What scientists wish they had more of, though, was ancient DNA, which would allow them to study how the populations of these groups changed and expanded over time. Well now, thanks to Benjamin Verno at the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology, maybe that dream is about to come true, as he explains to Eva Higginbotham.
0: So we get typically DNA from bones or from teeth, and we use those to study the past. And one issue with doing that is that bones and teeth for ancient humans or Neanderthals are really, really rare. You know, So Neanderthals lived all over Europe and parts of Asia for hundreds of thousands of years, and there are only 18 individuals for whom we have DNA. And that's not enough to really study those people. And there are many, many places in the world where we've excavated a cave, for example, and you find a bunch of stone tools that were made by Neanderthals, you find a bunch of cut-up deer remains or something like that, but you don't ever find a Neanderthal bone in many of these sites. And so what we did, essentially, is... Those people who lived in those caves though, even if they didn't leave bones or teeth, they still existed in the caves and they shed DNA. You know, Maybe they cut themselves, maybe they bled on the floor or something like that. That DNA binds to the dirt and it's preserved there in the dirt. And so what we did in this paper is we developed ways of getting the DNA out of the dirt, of getting the human DNA out of the dirt, and learning about people who lived, for example, in a particular cave simply by looking at this DNA from the dirt without needing these fossils.
1: So how did you manage to get the DNA out of the dirt?
0: It's actually not so hard to get the DNA out of the dirt. You sort of wash it with some chemicals and it comes off of the dirt. The big issue is that the vast majority of that DNA is not human. Could be that, say, one in every million DNA molecules that's attached to the dirt in a cave actually comes from humans. And that also kind of makes a lot of sense, right? We're talking about a rare event that someone cuts themselves or their baby poops or something happens, right? As opposed to they're butchering an animal in the cave or there's pollen floating in from outside or a mouse lives in the cave or a bear comes in the cave. And so the most challenging thing is actually to get the human DNA out And that's one of the big innovations of the paper is we designed essentially methods to fish out the human DNA and try to ignore all the other DNA that's there. So you can go from this one in a million and really enrich to the point to where you can really see the human DNA.
1: So did you manage to isolate the human type DNA then by using some sort of probe that would only bind to human DNA and not bear DNA, for example?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we did. So this sort of an approach is actually used by many studies that look at ancient human DNA, where they use these probes. And one of the big issues is we can't use the same probes as those other studies do when they, say, look at bones or something like that of other humans, because there are many, many regions in the genome, in the human genome, where our DNA is very, very similar to, for example, a bear's DNA or a hyena's DNA or some other animal that might have left its DNA in the cave. And when you do this sort of study, you know, you need to be really careful that you're actually saying here we found interesting stuff about these Neanderthals and not here we found interesting stuff about these Neanderthals and half the data is bare and we didn't realize it. And so what we did is we designed probes that are targeting regions of the genome where we have a lot of evidence that humans are going to be different from essentially every other mammal out there. So the sites that we target are not only special because they are different between all, say, humans and and other mammals, but they're also sites that are if you want to say they're variable between different human populations. So we select sites to target that, for example, may be different between you and me, or they may be different between us and Neanderthals, or even between two different groups of Neanderthals.
1: So now that you have this technique, what are you hoping to find out?
0: So there are two really cool things about this. I mean, one is just as I've said that you can study people even when they didn't leave bones behind. And I can't stress enough sort of how many archaeological sites that applies to, right? Where people spend a decade or something excavating a site and they learn so much about the people who live there and they never find a bone from those people, right? And I think this is really going to allow archaeologists to study the people at their sites sort of much more extensively. But even beyond just sort of the absence of bones, even when you do have a Neanderthal bone in a cave, You oftentimes only have one, maybe two, right? And with that, you also really can't get this time series. So at this cave in Spain, we were able to look at 36 sediment samples that had DNA in them and sort of go centimetre by centimetre down through the cave and identify the time point in the layers where the DNA changed. And you wouldn't even be able to do that even if you had found one or two or three bones from Neanderthals in this cave.
2: Benjamin Verno, and that paper has just been published in the journal Science.